Guru Nation, welcome to episode 541 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interviewed David Arthur, the CEO at Solarius Pharmaceuticals. They've got something very interesting brewing with epigenetics as well as immunotherapy and some other cancer uh, therapies. So, very interesting company to look at. Not financial advice, but I want you guys to start thinking in paradigms and platforms when it comes to biotech companies and trends and if you happen to also be interested in investing well that's just an added bonus but that's not a prerequisite for listening to these kind of podcasts on my channel so i really appreciate it i hope you can learn something here and i hope it can inspire you to dig a little deeper uh check out links in the show notes to the cra academy the crc academy my YouTube members page. It's 10 bucks a month. It's a monthly Zoom just for the YouTube members. We get real intimate and talk about how we're working on our goals and what we can do and different things like that. Also have weekly exclusive videos just for the YouTube members on how to increase their branding and their social media footprint uh, in order to get more opportunities for themselves because who wouldn't want opportunities for themselves in a year like this? Finally, you can text me if you need any help for your site. Just text me 949-415-6256. And with all that being said, enjoy the show with David Arthur, Chief Executive Officer at Celerius Pharmaceuticals. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back to another episode. We love talking to CEOs, executives, leadership from small market cap biotechs. We have David Arthur today. He's the CEO at Celarius Pharmaceuticals. For those subscribed to our other channel, if you're not, you need to go there. What are you doing? The Clinical Research Circle. We're trying to grow. David, I got to get the plug in. We got to get more people on there. Uh, but we talked about this company. There's an emerging area of life sciences and biotech that I actually think is pretty interesting, pretty important. We had Dr. Al Jazeera, who's an oncologist, come on and he confirmed, yes, epigenetics is like the next thing to come out. We're very early in the uh, period of epigenetics, but Celarius is one of the leading companies with epigenetics. And we have David Arthur, who's an accomplished um, life sciences executive. He's worked at Eli Lilly, Boehringer, uh, Glaxo, we'll have his LinkedIn profile underneath the show notes. Uh, so David, welcome to the show. Well, Dan, thank you for, uh, for having me and Chris, you as well. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the discussion. So first question I got to ask, I always ask, especially CEOs that, that come on, how did you become a CEO? How does one even do this? Like become a CEO of a, of a biotech? Well, I tell you what, I've heard a lot of different stories, and, and I'm not sure there's one exact common path that, that brings you to sitting in the CEO chair. Mine was um, mine was really opportunistic. As, as you mentioned, I spent a large port of my, portion of my career working for Big Pharma, um, just, just an amazing set of uh, uh, job responsibilities that allowed me to move around the country and around the world. And, you know, as I moved into the final third of my career, an opportunity presented itself to move into biotech. 
And I thought, what better way to, to finish up my career than to sit in the big chair, you know, obviously a small company, but sit in the big chair and, and uh, spend a few years trying to develop a drug that could truly make a difference in the lives of children and young, young adults and adolescents fighting for their lives against cancer. So that, that was my story. And I'll tell you what, I've loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was actually, <clears throat> we're actually interested in this particular company uh, as social investors at, at the research circle. And I've noticed that we caught it a little bit early. So for some of these biotechs, there's a lot of online chatter from the community. It's kind of noisy. With with SLRX, with, with Solaris Pharmaceuticals, not yet. I think we're early, but I think there's a lot of potential good news coming out. Uh, we can talk about maybe some of the um, good things that, that have already happened. For example, Solarius lead candidate is in nine U.S. trial sites. Is that correct? That is correct. So can you talk to us a little bit about the lead candidate cyclidem step? I'm happy to. So Ceclademstat is uh, an oral tablet. It is not a chemotherapy. Uh, it's taken twice daily. And, and, and that's important because in the, in the patient population that we're, we're, we're treating, um, sarcomas, and, and one of the sarcomas is Ewing sarcoma, just a devastating you know, pediatric and young adult cancer. The only real therapies right now are adult chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. And, and this class of drugs is designed to inhibit an enzyme that is crucial to the survival of these cancers. So by inhibiting the enzyme, you know, we believe, and we've demonstrated this in, um, you know, in cell lines in the lab and, and also in some animal models, that we can have a real impact in, uh, in anti-cancer activity. So Ceclademstat is a, is a real alternative uh, therapy that for a group of patients that fail these adult chemotherapies and, and are in desperate need of new treatment options, you know, we could, um, we could be an answer and it could be an answer that really matters for these, these patients. Yeah. So, and, and there's a, this uh, unmet need. So uh, according to the corporate presentation, rare pediatric designation, orphan drug designation and fast track approval. That's already, all those things have already happened, right? They, they have. And, and we've been really pleased with our interactions with the FDA so far. And, and this is one of those situations where you really do need to give a shout out to the FDA. Um, they, they put a lot of time and energy into working with small companies like ours who are on the forefront of, of truly new treatment options and new medicines for life-threatening and life-altering diseases, and they do everything in their power to help us move along the continuum and get these drugs into the hands of patients as quickly as possible. Uh, and when you then layer on to that, everything we've been going through with COVID for the past 18 months and the fact that the FDA has had doors open and processes running, they've made, they've made our, our job, not that it's easy, but they've allowed our us to continue along that path to getting these drugs into the the hands of potential patients. So they really do get a shout out. 
Yeah, no, you're you're not the first CEO that uh, has said that recently uh, due to COVID. The other ones, I guess all the common, uh, I guess all the similarities were the orphan drug designation uh, for these biotechs, but it basically said that the FDA made like made it easier for them to have conversations, whereas you know, non-orphan drug designations kind of taking a back seat right now because of COVID. Uh, can you demystify this process a little bit? How does it actually work? Like when, let's say you finish a phase one, how do you go, how do you plan a phase two? Do you just do it on your own or you have to do it with the FDA? So that's a really good question. Uh, and and I'll, I'll try and demystify it a little bit, or at least as, Thank it, you. as it relates to Solarius. So, uh, you know, back to my original comment about the the FDA really, really trying and, and doing a nice job of helping companies that are focusing on on new treatments for these rare diseases. Um, we the and you mentioned this earlier, fast track designation, and what that means is that we have applied to the FDA and and received a designation, which. Uh, opens us up to, which allows us to access a number of programs that, as I mentioned, move this drug along as quickly as possible on a fast track. So if we have a question um, related to a trial design or how to move forward and we call the FDA, uh, you know, they answer our question. Our request goes to the top of the pile because um, there's, there's always a waiting list. We go to the top of the waiting list. Uh, we get meetings booked a little more quickly. Uh, you know, anything that can be done just to move the administrative process along. There are a number of process. There are a number of programs that fall under fast track designation that we have access to. Um, and as you you asked, when we do need to sit down with the FDA at the end of a phase one study, you know, starting a phase two, that's exactly where this comes into play. Instead of possibly having to wait two or three months. For the next open time slot, we get an opening as, as soon as we can get in because they know that a couple of answers from them allow us to keep moving forward as, as quickly as possible. So that's really the benefit. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, rare pediatric disease designation, you know, that, that tells everybody that this is a rare pediatric disease. And that's something we need to be paying attention to because. You know, these are kids and they have their whole lives ahead of them. And, and this is where we need to be spending time and research dollars. So, again, uh, we've been flagged and, and we, uh, you know, we go to the, the, the top, the front of the line when it comes to needing a little bit of FDA attention. Um, can you can you give us like a crash course? I don't know if it's possible. Five minute crash course on epigenetics. And then particularly how it relates to LSD one, I'd be happy to. And um, you know, going back to the the uh, the guest you had a little while ago, the oncologist, I couldn't agree more. I think epigenetics is an area with tremendous potential to bring new drugs. You know, he said this is his words, and this doesn't mean that you co-sign this or whatever. Just disclosure for everybody. He says it's the next CRISPR-like technology. I, I, I like this oncologist. And you'll <laughs> have to make sure you introduce us. Uh, I will. I will. Go. So I uh, I use an analogy um, that uh, that I find very helpful. So there's a there's a series of cancers that are caused because the body just misreads genes. You know, the genes are healthy. 
but the body just misreads them. And it's not unlike any of us being in the kitchen, um, you know, baking a cake. We have a recipe. Uh, you have a series of ingredients. You have to measure out the right amount of ingredients. You have to put them in, in the bowl in the right order. You have to mix them. You have to select the right temperature for the oven. If you do it all correctly, you end up with a fantastic dessert. But much like the body misreading genes, we can misread that, that recipe. And, you know, instead of a tablespoon of salt, you end up with a cup of salt. Well, you can imagine you end up with uh, uh, an absolute, uh, you know, horrible. It's tasty. Cake. Sounds tasty. Yeah, it's, Salty yeah, cake. Sounds tasty. So epigenetics is, is very similar to us misreading a recipe. The body misreads genes and ends up combining two proteins that should not be connected. And that creates an, what's called an oncoprotein. It's a protein that starts telling the body to grow cancer and continue to progress that cancer. And, and that's the problem. The body's misread genes and created um, an oncoprotein that's the root of a lot of these, these, um, these cancers in the epigenetic space. Now, the reason our drug has so much potential as an LSD1 inhibitor is that LSD1 is, a, is an enzyme that is critical in the communication process of a number of these oncoproteins. Not all of them, but a large number of them. And these oncoproteins use the LSD1 enzyme to tell the rest of the body to, hey, grow cancer, keep growing cancer, keep growing cancer. So we actually inhibit that enzyme and shut down the ability for that oncoprotein to tell the body to grow cancer. And so when you look at some of the studies we have done, um, not in humans yet, but well, we are in humans, but these are studies in, in other models, laboratory models, what you would expect to happen is exactly what we saw. You see tumors that are, that are growing and we treat those tumors with our drug Cyclodemstat. All of a sudden the signal stops the tumor growth starts slowing down, it plateaus, and then they start to shrink and they melt away, which when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. You've cut off the ability of that oncoprotein that shouldn't have been created in the first place. You've cut off the ability of that oncoprotein to tell the body to grow cancer. Cancer withers away and dies. So I'm curious. Um, you had previously said that you've uh, run some animal models um, is that how you grow the tumor initially in the animal is enabling the oncoproteins? So there are a lot of ways to go about this. And um, we do we do quite a bit of research. You know, a lot of it is required by the FDA. And, and it usually starts with just a, a, a tumor cell line from patients in a Petri dish. And that helps you identify what tumors you might be able to treat. And then from there, you, you take those cell lines and you, you put them into mice um, and you then begin. So it's actually a human uh, tumor in a mouse, and that allows you to treat the mouse and see whether or not your drug has an effect. And we've been incredibly fortunate because our drug has had a, an effect across a variety of tumors and, and specifically in these sarcomas that we're, we're talking about now, which historically are a, a very difficult to treat type of cancer. And unfortunately, many of these sarcomas uh, occur in, in, in children and adolescents. Hmm. Okay, thank you. Very interesting. 
So I think it's important to note here, just some more due diligence for the viewers. 33.1 million cash sufficient to fund completion of ongoing and upcoming clinical trials for drug candidate cyclidomstatin involving several types of solid and liquid cancers. Um, the July 2021 successful IPO of Imago, I guess it's Imago or Imago Biosciences, further validates the relevance. So this is what David was talking about of epigenetics technology. Pfizer, Celgene, Amgen, several major biotech investors invested about 162 million. Uh, working capital. So it's it's uh you guys have the financial stability, which is not very common for uh, such a small market cap company. Uh, how were you guys able to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We we are in Solaris is in the strongest financial position we we've, we've ever encountered. Um, and as you mentioned, we just announced 33 million dollars in the bank. Uh, we still have about 4.8 million in funding uh, available from the state of Texas. We have uh, access to additional capital through uh, an at-the-market shelf offering that we haven't used and don't plan to use in, in for the foreseeable future. Um, and, and so we are on very strong footing. It was quite a journey to get here. We, we started as, as with many biotechs. Uh, you know, the founders uh, created Solaris back in 2011, friends and family financing and, and some grant money and, um, and got to a point where they had the drug that we're talking about, Cyclodemstat, and that was back in 2015. I came on board, uh, you know, having wrapped up uh, you know, my career at Big Pharma and came on board. And first thing we needed to do was raise money and build a team, get the drug into the clinic and see if it was going to work. And, and here we are six years later, at least for you know, my, my tenure, and we've raised about $80 million. Um, you know, we have 33 left in the bank and, and another you know, four and change available from the state of Texas. Uh, we went public along the way back in 2019. And, and that, was a, that was a big event for Solarius because it allowed us to access public capital market money and and really allowed us to accelerate the development of cyclodemstat and, and get to where we are now so a little bit of a journey and you know, as i said every every company travels a little bit uh different pathway to get to get to where they are but we're in a we're in a great position and and you know as you mentioned we're funded to complete the clinical trials that are ongoing and that's important for investors to know that the money is in the bank to get to the, the completion of the trials and get the data that is going to drive the, the, the inflection points. So, you know, you can do the math. We have 33 million in the bank. We have another four we can get from the state of Texas and we burn about 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 a month. So you divide one by the other and you see that, you know, sometime in 2023, uh, we're, we're, we're good for that period of time. And um, that's if the stock price doesn't go up, continue to go up. Well, that that that's true as well, and you know, so, so that really that really brings to front and center the comment you made about Amago. I I, I call it Amago. I'm not 100 percent sure that's right, but uh, just a great example of the validation of this space, you know, of LSD1 inhibition and and epigenetics. Uh, 
you know, they were a private company, did a nice job of getting money from uh, the venture groups of Amgen and, and Pfizer and Merck, I believe. Uh, their lead medicine in, in phase two studies. So they're maybe a year, 15 months ahead of us. We're just beginning our phase two studies. They announced unaudited and interim data. Uh, and it was some good data. Uh, and uh, they went public with uh, results that I think hopefully we're going to have about a year from now. And last time I checked, their market cap was about $800 million. Hmm. So, you know, wow. not bad for a company that's also a single asset LSD1 inhibitor company with uh, a couple of clinical phase two clinical trials, some investigator initiated studies. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm one of Imago's biggest fans these days. Do you, do you guys, uh, we'll have to look into them. Do you guys do investigator-initiated trials as well? Well, chance? we do. We, we like to fund those trials. And in fact, you, you touched on, um, you know, the number of sites, clinical trial sites that we have uh, active. And MD Anderson is obviously one of those, one of those sites down, in, down here in Houston, MD Anderson Cancer Center. Um, and they're actually uh, a clinical trial site for two clinical trials. You know, one of them is our sarcoma study, and the other is an investigator-initiated study that was announced in June of this year. And this is studying cyclodemstat in combination with a chemotherapy in blood cancers. Hmm. Um, so two types of cancers, uh, MDS and CMML. And this is why this is why we're so excited about this. Uh, you know, our sarcoma study is designed to get us to market, speed to market. Right. Huge unmet need. Uh, you know, we hope to move very quickly through the regulatory process. But then we're also pursuing a second prong of expand the market. So much larger indications. And this study with MD Anderson launches us into the first of what I hope will be a number of uh, much larger indications, this being blood cancers. So both MDS and CMML, um, about a third of those patients will transition into acute myeloid leukemia, AML. We've all heard about that. American Cancer Society, uh, if you look at their website, they'll tell you that, a, that AML accounted for about 20,000 new cases of cancer in the U.S. last year alone. And if we are able to, in this study with MD Anderson, show that we are positively impacting patients uh, with these earlier forms of cancer that can transition to, uh, into AML, that opens up a whole new area for us to pursue. And, and we're doing a lot of work to prepare to be able to take that pursuit as soon as we, uh, is, hopefully, as soon as we see the data that we're looking for coming out of MD Anderson. So mm -hmm. the answer, long answer to a short question. Yes, we, we like to do <laughs> IITs. Good because that oncologist you want to meet, he does IITs with Chris and I in our oh, in our day job. He's a community-based clinician in LA, um, but we're working on an immunotherapy breast cancer study for him right now. So yeah, I'll definitely put you in touch, David. Absolutely. Um, I like the market expansion idea. So the two-pronged approach makes sense. You have uh, speed to market Ewing-related sarcomas. You have Here's something that I think a lot of investors are not even aware of, possible priority review voucher. Do you have any info on this? Um, I do, actually. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that topic up. It's, uh, 
it, it's 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 one of the best programs I am aware of the government offering. Um, this this was this is absolutely brilliant. The government, in order to incentivize companies to develop drugs for rare pediatric cancers, they created created this voucher program. And Do you remember it, when they created this uh, program? Boy, I'm like approximately about ten years ago. Okay. And uh, what it means is, if you develop a drug, you have to develop it. Your first indication needs to be for a rare pediatric cancer. You, know, you can't can't launch it for prostate and then decide to come back and get it. You have to focus your efforts on rare pediatric cancers. Well, here's the funny thing: by definition, every pediatric cancer is rare. There are only about sixteen thousand new cases of pediatric cancer in the U.S. every year. Half of those are leukemia. Well, rare is you know anything below twenty twenty five thousand patients. So a lot of these cancers only have five hundred to seven hundred thousand patients a year. And so you can imagine, uh, given that it costs just as much to develop a pediatric cancer treatment as it does uh, a treatment for adult indications with hundreds of thousands of patients, a lot of investment dollars go into the bigger cancers. So this program, once you are designated as a rare pediatric disease, which we are, and your drug is approved for treatment in that rare pediatric disease, which we are doing with Ewing sarcoma. When the FDA approves our drug for Ewing sarcoma, touch wood, we're successful, then we will be given a voucher. That voucher is like a monopoly card to you know, bypass jail and go directly to go and collect $200. What it means is that whoever owns that voucher for any indication, adult, athlete's foot, whatever. They can take that voucher and a new drug application, go to the FDA, give them the new drug application, the NDA and the voucher, and they're guaranteed a six-month review wow. of their drug versus the typical 12 to 14-month review. Yeah. And, and what that means is that it's not costing, I don't think it costs the government anything at all. You know, they, they don't have to pay any money. The only people buying and selling these vouchers are pharmaceutical companies doing it to each other. So a great example, uh, Sanofi was in a foot race with Amgen for the monoclonal uh, antibody lipid lowering agents, the PCSK9s. They're in a foot race, billion dollar markets. Sanofi spent $350 million on a voucher so that they could use it with their submission and hopefully beat Amgen to market by six to 12 months. And so you can imagine when you're in that kind of foot race with that kind of market opportunity, people will spend a lot of money on these vouchers. Right. There have probably been maybe only 12 or 13 vouchers issued over the past 10 years, but half of them have already been used. Uh, the other are sitting on people's shelves, you know, waiting to either sell or use them themselves. And they're currently selling for about a hundred million bucks. Yeah, I see on the corporate presentation eighty to one hundred fifty. Uh, yeah. Wow! And it's a so when you think about it, it's just a great program that's self-funding by the pharmaceutical industry to incentivize biotech companies or or even big pharma to develop drugs initially for rare pediatric cancers. I, it's it's just a great program, and it's it's awesome. 
And if it works out, we'll we'll have a voucher, which looking through the lens of an investor, that's another hundred million dollars, uh, give or take, right there at uh, at approval. That's significant for the market share or uh, the market cap that you guys are at right now. Um, thank you. Thank you for educating Guru Nation on this. See, don't say you never learn anything on this on this show. It's not just for investors. It's for people interested in clinical research. So you can use that voucher for anything once you get it. Well, we, we could put it on the shelf and mm. we could use it at some point in the future for one of our own drugs. Okay. We could put it on the shelf and decide to sell it at some point in the future to fund all kinds of additional development work at Solarius. Or we could sell it and make the money available to investors. There, there are lots of options. Throw, throw it on eBay. You could put it on eBay. That, that would actually be, I hadn't thought about that. That would is there is there a biotech equivalent of a marketplace like that? Or is it just like at conferences, you talk to another CEO and say, hey, you know, I have this. How does that work? Oh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's actually not that sophisticated, I don't, I don't think. <laughs> there haven't there haven't been that many of these issued, and and it's a it's part of the public record. So we we actually keep track of every single voucher that has been issued and used. So I could I'd have to go look it up, but I know where everyone is sitting right now. And so yeah. I would imagine anybody else who's out there and and all of the business development folks at Big Pharma keep the same list, and um, and when they need one, they they just make a phone call. That's <laughs> so nice to make a phone. Chris and I, we own sites, small sites. We own a very small CRO that does primarily investigator-initiated trials. Oh. We, there's no way we could just make a phone call or message someone on LinkedIn, a decision maker at a biotech. But you guys, you guys have the inside line. I need, I need access to that. I don't know how you guys get that. <laughs> what is it, LinkedIn Premium? <laughs> no, I, well, uh, for, me, for me, it's 20 years in, in, in big pharma and all the people I grew up with have now, you know, dispersed and gotcha. are, are all over the place. But that's so the beauty of being in it that long, right? Like you, you, yeah. you come up with certain people, mid-level, senior level, then they go on and become CEOs. So you guys keep in touch. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, and thank you so much for joining us uh, as we wrap up. Uh, I'm reading from this article. So, you know, uh, market expansion, okay. Um, larger indications, solid tumors, hematological malignancies, uh, the efficacy, the, uh, help the efficacy of immuno-oncology agents such as Merck's Keytruda and selected type of cancers. Um, have you guys... Is that the investigator-initiated trials you were discussing with Keytruda, or have you not started those yet? So you're referring to another exciting area of potential for LSD1 inhibitors. There's been a lot of, uh, in our case, research done by other parties that have published that indicate that when you uh, treat a patient with an LSD1 inhibitor, another mechanism of action is that it unmasks tumors that are hidden from the body. And, and now you're talking about the whole immuno-oncology response. Right. So the body can't see a tumor. It doesn't know to attack it. And, and one of the great things about checkpoint inhibitors is they can go attack tumors that the body sees. So if a tumor is masked, checkpoint inhibitor might not work. Well, as I mentioned, a lot of good research saying you can unmask these tumors 
Checkpoint inhibitors can now see them, the body can attack them. And it's an exciting area for us. I know that some of the, at least one of the other companies that are developing uh, an LSD1 inhibitor and, and are currently in clinical trials treating patients are also doing a similar study of their LSD1 inhibitor in combination with a checkpoint inhibitor. Uh, as you know, I'm sure you know, you know, checkpoint inhibitors are a $16 billion plus global market. Oh, yeah. Immunotherapy is huge. It's huge. And, and they're only treating about 40% of the eligible patients because, you know, the other 60% for a variety of reasons, including the body doesn't see the tumors, is, is why the checkpoint inhibitors don't work. So being able to increase that market could be huge. Um, Honor Health, a hospital in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, has listed in clinicaltrials.gov that they plan to initiate a study using Ceclademstat, our drug, in combination with Pembro, Merck's uh, checkpoint inhibitor, in uh, a select group of well, patients with a select group of gynecological cancers. And uh, they're actually recruiting patients with a certain genetic mutation, you know, back to epigenetics when we talked earlier. So, you know, it carries through a lot of what, what happens here. And, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to seeing them get that study up and running because it will, A, it's great for patients. I mean, these patients have run out of options. And, and, and B, it will really give some insight into what type of opportunity exists for those patients and potentially others of cyclodemstat unmasking um, uh, uh, these tumors and allowing checkpoint inhibitors to go in and, and do their job. So there's a, there, cool. there's a lot of potential out there. And that's, and that's why cool. we're so excited about this space. It's so, been validated in research, recently validated financially with Imago, and you know, validated through the investment capital we've been able to raise and has mm-hmm. put us in the financial position. Do do they need your approval to do that? Or they just use the I mean, how does that work like with honor honor health? Uh well, so we we will certainly provide drug to them. Um, okay. but they're they're the researchers and so they own the the trial and uh you know we're also providing some funding as okay. is, uh honor health and uh so in a way it's like an IIT basically. Oh it is an IIT. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, I got you. I, I didn't I didn't I was like they can just take your drug and do whatever study they want. No, no, no. It is an investigator initiated <laughs> trial which means gotcha. they they own the research and they own the trial. We're there to help and they post it on clinicaltrials.gov and we're standing ready to jump in and gotcha. gotcha. what they need. I'm wondering how we could facilitate more of these IITs because I think Chris and I like are doing I, I like not a bunch, but we started doing some IITs and there's a lot of potential breakthroughs coming out of these small studies, like 12 patients, 13 patients. Well, and, and, and IITs are just a tremendous tool in the toolbox uh, when, when fighting cancer. The, there's a, there's an old adage that says, you know, if you, if you, if you've learned how to treat one tumor, you've learned how to treat one tumor. (laughs) <laughs> and and there there are thousands of them out there, and so these investigator initiated trials, which give the I mean the people on the front lines the opportunity to you know mix and match and take their learning and all their experience and see what they can they can do to really help patients. It's just a great way to advance the you know the overall book of knowledge and and potential treatments for all of these patients. So I'm a big fan of them. Right. Uh, one of the questions from the community was um you know if with with Keytruda and Merck do you need their 
permit, do you need to do actual partnership with them to do a study or can you just do it on your own or do you have something in the works lined up for this? So uh, I, I think that's a two-part question. You know, the first part is you know, referring to what Honor Health has put on their website. It's their study. Uh, um, I, so any, any relationship with Merck uh, involving that study would, would go through Honor Health. Um, and gotcha. and, and we, we have an agreement with Honor Health as well. Um, uh, it's called a clinical trial agreement, which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with. And yeah. so they'd be entering into agreements with, with everyone. Now, I think the second part of the study is, you know, what might we be doing in the future? And, you know, as, we, as we've, um, you know, communicated in, in you know, our, our, our SEC and our NASDAQ communications and our earnings calls and even on our uh, presentation on our website, we're very interested in the broader potential of using Ceclademstat in combination with you know, any of the checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, to go after some of these these much larger devastating cancers. I mean, just hypothetically, if if uh, if a company has an indication for breast cancer um, with their checkpoint inhibitor, but it's only able to treat forty percent of those patients because there's a portion of the patients that the body doesn't see the tumor, and we can unmask it. Boy, talk about an easy win for patients and and investors. And, and so that's the type of research we want to be moving forward with uh, in the near future. Gotcha. Um, okay, Chris, any final questions? Sure. Um, this is just really a curiosity. So circling back to what Dan had initially asked you, David, um, your path to being CEO, just because, I mean, we've been asked in, on calls, hey, how do I become CEO for a company? Um, what was your first position in Big Pharma 26 years ago? Uh, well, my first position in Big Pharma was as a summer intern in the business development group at Glaxo Pharmaceuticals in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Okay. I, 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 I'm originally a chemical engineer by training and, and worked as an engineer and went back to business school and um, was fortunate enough to get a, a summer internship. In North Carolina, and and just you know, I really enjoyed the 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 fact that I was working for a company that was trying to develop medicines to help people. Very nice. And then, what was your last position prior to transferring over to Solarius? Uh, was with Boeing or Ingelheim. I was head of their uh, diabetes and endocrine business unit where they were in the process where, where I was brought in to help build that group and, uh, and help launch a few drugs. Okay, great. Appreciate the answers. Yep. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, David. I really appreciate it for anybody that wants to take a look at David Arthur's LinkedIn profile. Link is underneath the show notes. SLRX is the stock symbol. Uh, this is not financial advice. Uh, it's just something to pique your curiosity. The purpose of these interviews and the videos that we do is to get you guys looking at the new science, like the next wave, epigenetics. I've been hearing it from like four different doctors now. This is There's something here, guys. And David Arthur has been telling you this for the last half an hour or two. So thank you very much, David, for coming on. Any last words you want to say, uh, David, for the... You do have some chatter online now starting to form around SLRX. Any 
any uh, anything you want to say to the online community, the growing SLRX fans out there? Well, uh, first, you know, Dan and uh, and Chris, thank you for having me here today. I'm, I'm sure you got a lot of people you'd love to have on your show. So, so thanks for selecting you know, Solarius and, and me. You know, my my uh, my comment to the I, I love the way you phrase it, the growing uh, community of SLRX supporters, social is, investors, <laughs> is uh, you know continue to learn. the The story that we're telling is a good one. It uh, it starts with the patient front and center. Uh, I believe if you do what's right for patients, everything else, including uh, the financial rewards, will follow, and, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, the timing is good. We we have a uh, we're, we're funded out into uh, uh, the completion of all of our clinical trials, ongoing clinical trials with uh, data coming out. Updates the second half of this year. Well, we're already in the second half of this year and, and, and next year. So a lot of exciting things are going to happen over the next next 12 months or so. And now's the time to get involved if you want to be part of it. Thank you for that. David, I got to stop interviewing you CEOs. Each time I do, I, I need to buy some stock. There you like go. Every, every company, I'm sold. So thank you, David. I appreciate it. It's definitely something to look into. Small market cap early, like David said. Look into it. Definitely epigenetics. There's a lot there, not just something. And Solarius has even more going for it than just epigenetics. So thank you, David. Thank you, Chris. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. And we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye.